Hello. Welcome to the latest Awake 58 podcast. I'm Nation Han, and I'm your host. Today, I had a chance to catch up with Janet Spriggs, president of Forsyth Tech. Janet and I first met on one of my very first community college visits for ednc.org. She was then in leadership at Rowan Salisbury Community College. In the years since, she's earned her doctorate, became president of Forsyth Tech, became a grandmother, and participated in a number of fellowships and leadership development experiences that have shaped her time at the college. Today, we talk about a range of topics, but one that I want to draw your attention to is Janet's commitment to equity. She tells us about her passion for the issue and the ways in which her team is trying to bake it into all of their work. Hello, Janet Spriggs. It's so good to be with you, my friend. Hello, Nation. I agree. I wish we were together in person, but it's it's nice to hear your voice. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, so much for being on. So tell us, you know, an open-ended question to start. I mean, uh, if you were giving the State of the Union address for the state of Forsyth Tech at this moment in time, um, you know, what are some of the top highlights, knowing that this has been a, a strange year indeed? Yes, it sure has. It's been uh, much stranger than I think any of us a year ago could have re- could have uh, realized we were about to face the challenges that we faced. However, I think that Forsyth Tech and all of the community colleges in North Carolina have weathered this storm um, well. We have continued to move forward with our student success agenda and have not let the pandemic uh, hinder our efforts here at Forsyth Tech. We have successfully launched a new brand. We created a new advising model all during the middle of the pandemic. Um, We've made great strides in understanding different ways to teach remotely and how to engage students in a remote learning environment uh, to facilitate greater success. We've continued to work on external funding opportunities. And so a couple of highlights for us Uh, are that we had secured last June a $440,000 grant opportunity from Kate B. Reynolds Charitable Trust to help us expand our Forsyth Tech Cares efforts that we stood up in response initially to the pandemic and to the students' needs. Um, We've deployed our PERF funding from the federal government in ways that have made a huge difference, I think, for our students. Um, We have just received word a few weeks ago that we won a $5 million Department of Labor grant, which is huge for our ability to work collaboratively in our region uh, from a regional perspective with seven other community colleges and in workforce development. And really, I think preparing to be a critical player in the workforce development economic recovery efforts of our state as we hopefully soon transition out of the pandemic And we've got a brand new equity transfer initiative with our partners at Winston-Salem State University. So things are looking good at Forsyth Tech. Tell us a little bit more about this equity transfer initiative. We've seen the announcement come out a couple weeks ago, but I'd love to hear a few more details. Sure. Um, So we're really excited about that. This grant is not a lot of cash dollars. Um, We get about $25,000, $27,000, I think. But what we get is um, in resources 
of uh, the American Association of Community Colleges and other partners to work with Forsyth Tech and Winston-Salem State to help us advance and align our transfer pathways. So essentially what the crux of the grant is, is to increase transfer and increase not only transfer of students moving from Forsyth Tech to Winston-Salem State to complete their bachelors, but really working with <clears throat> underrepresented student populations from the day they <clears throat> become a Forsyth Tech student until the day they graduate with their bachelor's degree at Winston-Salem State University. So nationally, this initiative is gonna hope to serve over 6,000 students from underrepresented populations over two years and they funded 16 partnerships that included 17 community colleges and 19 universities in 13 states. And we are the one uh, that was funded in North Carolina. So critical for the conversation around helping transfer students not only succeed at the community college, but do well once they move into the university space. Tell us a little bit more. I know everyone uh, what seemed uh, pretty interested in this new collaborative that you all have as part of the federal grant um, that rolled out around workforce development. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the parameters of that and how it came together? And this is the Department of Labor, the $5 million grant, right? Yes. Yes. So um, that is a wonderful partnership. It's We called it strengthening. It was part of the strengthening community colleges training grant, I think, that the Department of Labor um, uh, has has awarded and basically Forsyth Tech is going to lead eight community colleges. We're one of eight in building a consortium on how we align our workforce and our education systems specifically for advanced manufacturing and specifically in the Piedmont Triad region. So basically we're going to support the community colleges in advancing our career pathways into the manufacturing, advanced manufacturing businesses, and we're going to align how we meet our employer's demand for those skilled workers. So we're in partnership with Alamance Community College, Davidson Davy, um, Guilford Tech, Montgomery, Randolph, Rockingham, and Surrey. And we're the only consortium in North Carolina um, that received one of these awards and we received the top award. So we're going to emphasize things like machining and welding and industrial maintenance. Our teams are going to work together to change how we start training programs and how we build credentials. There's a digital badging component to this work that will allow students to earn digital badges that are transferable among industries within our region. So if I'm at industry A and, and the student approaches with uh, digital badges, they will be the same skills that have been, uh, no matter what college they've graduated from, the employer will be assured that that student, because of that digital badge, has the skills that they need for the jobs they have at their company. So it's pretty exciting, actually, around when we talk about building stronger collaborations between the education sector and the private business and industry. And also when we talk about community colleges coming together in a collaborative partnership way to make sure that we are being part of the solution for the work skills gaps in our region. Thank you for sharing. So on the 
facts of all that good news for the institution, we know that enrollment remains a challenge for community colleges across the country um, and certainly here in North Carolina. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in the fall for you all enrollment wise and then where you stand in the spring at this moment? Sure. Yes. Unfortunately, um, you know, the pandemic has um, has been a storm that all of us have been weathering, but some of us have weathered it better than others. Some of us, I use the analogy that, you know, some of us have had uh, larger boats with which to weather the storm. Our students and particularly our lower income students and our students um, from underrepresented minority populations have really suffered much more significantly and that has caused a, a pretty dramatic decrease in enrollment, particularly more so in our basic skills and our continuing education classes than in our curriculum classes. But we are down. We were up in the summer, which was very encouraging. We increased about 9% in the summer last year over the previous year. But then in the fall, we saw more students who had to drop the number of hours that they were able to take things like having to homeschool their students, their, their children at home, having to um, you know, take care of other family needs during this time. They couldn't take as many credit hours. And as you know, Nation, we are funded on full-time equivalents. So if I have a full-time, if I have more full-time students taking more hours, you get those FTE requirements, you know, you make more FTE. Whereas we had a lot of students that had been full-time, they dropped to part-time. So we didn't earn as much full-time equivalents. We also lost students who just couldn't find their way forward during the disruptions of the pandemic. Some of them um, do not do well in online learning, and we only had about 10% of our classes in person in the fall and about 10% in person in the spring. We have been able to add a lot of hybrid options so students can come to class fewer times and be online for some of that um, period as well. But basically what has happened at Forsyth Tech is that like most of the state, we are down, um, we're down in curriculum a small amount, relatively small, around five to 6%, but our continuing education and our basic skill students, those students who need adult high school and basic literacy are really significantly down. And we are working very hard to find ways that we can support whatever situation they find themselves in and help them get back in school or increase the number of classes they're taking so that they can graduate sooner and get to work sooner. And then looking out a little bit, I mean, what are you all thinking the fall of 2021 might look like? I mean, what are, and I know you probably learned a lot in terms of everything from class schedules to virtual offerings to how to promote the college, but certainly we hope that we're beginning to be out of the woods a little bit with the pandemic by then. Yeah, I certainly hope so. My crystal ball broke a long time ago, so I am not very good these days at predicting the future, but what we are planning for is that we've heard that, you know, we're going to start having vaccinations for um, community college educators, we hope in March. We believe that uh, according to what the health department is telling us that most people who want a vaccine should be able to get one by July. We are planning to be more normal in the fall um, than we have been for the past year. And that would mean for us that we would have a large number of in-person classes. Right now, I said we're about 10% in-person. We wanna flip that to at least 70% of our classes actually in-person 
or having an in-person um, opportunity for our students so that perhaps they can come one day a week instead of two or something like that. But we do anticipate that if things continue to go forward in a positive direction, that by the time we get to the fall semester, we may not be normal as what we considered normal in 2019, but we'll definitely be more normal than we have been for the past 11 months or so. So hoping to get back to having that energy on campus that we, we love so much when the students are here and we've got activities for them, not only in the classroom, but those engagement opportunities for them as well on campus. Certainly hope that we'll see a lot more folks vaccinated by then. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, the very real consequences of budget stabilization. We saw um, President Steph make a presentation to the General Assembly recently where the budget stabilization number came out to around $61 million for the system as a whole. Um, you know, for your college, you know, what are what would the consequences be if budget stabilization did not occur? Um, so what are what are some of the challenges you all could face? Yeah. I think that's a really good question and we're wrapping our brain around that right now. We're looking strategically at all of the ways that we can um, plan for the different scenarios, right? So for we have we have an estimate that says that Forsyth Tech would be down about $2.1 million without budget stabilization. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of opportunities for us to offer classes. There's no way that we can take a $2.1 million budget hit and, and still continue to offer all of the classes that we offer. There's no way to keep that large of a decline out of the classroom. Um, we, you know, we know that we have some other funding sources. Uh, we've got federal stimulus dollars, but our students need a lot of that federal stimulus money that we have. And we have the ability to use that money to do what it was intended to do, which is help the students move forward in their educational journeys. Um, so we could utilize some of that money to offset, but that money runs out at the end of December. Um, and we have to, we would have to use it all by then. And again, that would cut into our ability to utilize that money in other ways to support students more directly. So for us, we would have to reduce the number of classes we're offering. We may have to reduce the services that we're providing. Right now we're trying to provide everything both in the virtual world and on campus. We might not be able to do that. Um, there's quite a few consequences, most of them directly impacting our students' ability to continue in a successful manner um, if we have to take that large of a cut. So it's a, it is a really big issue. The other thing is that I think that it's, faced, it's, it's safe to say that while we do believe once we are back in person, we will see this uh, FTE turnaround. We'll have our students come back and take more full-time hours. We'll get more students who have taken a break during this time, but it's gonna take a couple of years to fully get out of what this pandemic has done, you know, fully recover, if you will. And a key thing to remember is that anytime there's a recession, anytime there's an economic downturn, anytime there's a disruption like this to the workforce, community colleges are critical in turning that around. And in, in the economic recovery, we know that jobs are changing as a result of COVID. Um, how are those job needs going to change and how are the colleges going to respond to preparing students to be 
uh, ready for those changes in the industry. That takes money to be able to anticipate and make those program changes. And we are, you know, if we don't have that ability to do that well, I don't think that we are going to be as um, impactful in the recovery for our state as we could and should be, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Speaking of recovery, uh, you know, one of the developments this year that was a relatively new thing is the use of gear funding um, to support workforce development uh, on your campus and, and the others across the 58. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about how that's been deployed for you all and, and perhaps even weigh in on this conversation that's emerging nationally around whether Pell should be expanded to support short-term workforce? Yeah, so, you know, the GEAR funding has helped us help more students get to work faster because it's designed to pay for those shorter term stackable credentials and workforce certification types of programs. And so for a lot of students, particularly those who are lower income, who are unemployed or underemployed, um, adult students, which, you know, our average age is still around 27, 28. So we've got a, a lot of older students who need to either get training to move to the next level or who need uh, skills, education to be able to get a better job for themselves. That has been a real bonus for those students. Um, the short-term Pell is the same thing. If we are able to access Pell, federal Pell dollars to help our students earn stackable credentials. So for an example, if I've got a really low income student who has a family to support and they can't afford to come to class right now and they're working full time and they can't take a curriculum program, they might be able to take a short term class which will get them a better paying job and perhaps even go to work for a company that will pay the tuition for them if they wanna go into another degree program. So it's critically important for helping us help particularly the most vulnerable and the most the students with the lowest incomes really be able to um, get the more immediate training that they need to get to work faster. And then we can work with them on their lifelong educational plan and, and the next step of their educational journey. But the first thing is being able to help them take care of themselves and their families. So tell us, I mean, you've been through so much uh, in a relatively short tenure as president. What are some of your prouder moments uh, at serving in the role so far? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I had no idea in 2019 that my second year was going to start off quite the way that it did or take me where it took me. Uh, you know, I'm going to say that when we it was March 13th, I will never forget Friday the 13th of last year when we realized that uh, things were not going the way we wanted them to go and that, th that our life was gonna change. Um, our students were on spring break. We extended their spring break to two weeks. And in two weeks, a two week time frame, um, our staff and faculty took 95% or more of what we did in person every day and turned it into a virtual option so that we didn't lose any ground in being able to keep our students moving forward and to keep supporting our students through this pandemic. I think that's remarkable. Um, it, you have no idea how much work that involved. Um, 
we have 7,600 students in that semester. And again, while it wasn't the way they wanted to have to come to school, you know, many of them didn't like the online option. We never lost a beat. You know, we never stopped. We never shut down through the whole pandemic. And I'm really proud of our staff and faculty. I think that's something to be celebrated. We also stood up our Forsyth Tech Cares office, and I am extremely proud of that for our team that, that really understood that our students were going to be isolated. They were going to be, um, you know, afraid and fearful in this environment that we were in and this unknown place we were going together and that they were going to need extra support, not only for academic needs during this um, virtual timeframe, but also for the life happens kinds of things. I mean, pan let's face it, COVID-19 was like the biggest life happens issue ever. And uh, so for Side Tech Cares, we stood that up with people who just made agreed to make phone calls every week to all of our students and ask them, what can we do? How can we help you? And we used foundation dollars and other privately donated money to be able to give them laptops and a hotspot so that they could access their content. We upgraded our Wi-Fi system and opened the parking lots for them to come and sit in the parking lot and use the Wi-Fi. We gave them money for food. You know, we helped them with um, expenses to, to be able to continue to stay in school. And we provided them with just a listening ear and somebody to connect with. And, um, and then that got us the grant and the partnership with Kate B. Reynolds, and we've expanded all of that. So I'm, there's a lot to be proud of. We have um, continued, as I said earlier, to move forward, not to abandon why we're here and our purpose, and to really care about our students in ways that have made a huge difference um, in their lives. And I'm proud of that. I know that you have uh, made equity a focus of your tenure really from the very beginning, but certainly mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been in this moment of racial reckoning for the whole country. Can you tell us a little bit about the work of Forsyth Tech in that realm? Yeah, absolutely. And I should say, you know, I'm really proud of that. So I did decide early on equity is, is a passion for me. I, you know, I believe that as community colleges, it's part of our uh, basic inherent mission is to make sure that when we say we're gonna meet every student where they are and take them as far as they can go, we really mean that for every student. And so at Forsyth Tech, one of the first things I did in 2019 was to elevate a position. I created a new um, cabinet level position to focus specifically on equity and inclusion. We hired a consultant with some money from our foundation <clears throat> and we worked with that consultant um, to help us understand where we needed to focus our equity issues at, at Forsyth Tech, and to build a plan for equity. Um, we were building our strategic plan at the time. We included as part of our strategic plan, an equity statement that basically says what we are talking about when we think about equity at Forsyth Tech. And that is, we wanna build this into our DNA. It, it needs to not be bolted on that we're just gonna talk about equity, but rather that it's infused and woven into the fabric of who we are as an institution. And so um, one of the things that we did was create a new equity statement that our board approved, uh, again, to show that top level support for this work, which says that at Forsyth Tech, equity is grounded in a culture of belonging and that every student will, um, will get what they need to be successful. 
And we've really embraced that. Our consultant worked with our brand new Council for Equity, Belonging, and, and Inclusion to um, create an action plan. We joined Achieving the Dream, and one of our action plan items from that was about equity. Um, we now have introduced last year, let me start there, last year in response to the George Floyd murder and the other social injustice issues that arose, we had courageous conversations and we committed not to just have the courageous conversation, but to turn what we learned from those dial that dialogue into courageous action. Um, we're sponsoring right now in February, Black History Month, a Black Lives Matter symposium. Um, we had an Unsung Heroes luncheon for our Black male faculty and staff in December. We are introducing multicultural pedagogy in our Center for Teaching and Learning for every faculty. So really what we're doing is just, you know, we are, we are looking with clear eyes at where we are as an institution and putting an equity lens to everything that we do and infusing it into our culture in a way that it's not a second thought, but rather it's just part of who we are and what we do. Um, and so we've got some pretty, we've got a new consultant working with us right now who's helping us expand on the work of um, Dr. Lewis from last year. Um, it's, it's just really exciting, changing our policies, changing our job descriptions, everything we do, we're trying to figure out how we do it in a way that uh, we truly are focused on, on everybody belonging here at Forsyth Tech. So Janet, tell us a little bit, I mean, I'm, I'm imagine the answer is a lot of things, but you know, when you wake up at 3 a.m., uh, you know, in the middle of the night, what are some of the things that, that do keep you up at night um, during the middle of this pandemic? Some of the concerns that you have for your students, your faculty, your institutions? Yeah, that's a great question. So I do wake up at all hours of the night and I will tell you that where my mind goes um, when I'm up in the middle of the night is, have I, are we doing enough to reach out in a way that is going to make a difference in helping our students, especially those that are struggling the most right now, um, get back into momentum that they, you know, the, get that momentum back that they had before. Um, are we doing enough to, to work on the partnerships that we have to recognize are so critically important with agencies like Second Harvest Food Bank so that our students who are hungry and who are struggling even more now as a result of, of COVID-19, you know, how are we helping meet those basic needs? We're not a social services organization, but we know that our students are coming to class hungry and that's been exacerbated by the disruption and the impact of COVID. So those are the things that I think keep me up. You know, what else can we do? How else can we wrap around our students from a holistic perspective um, so that we are focusing on providing them with the highest quality educational, academic education that they can get. But at the same time, we're recognizing that there's so much more involved in, in helping those students really be able to succeed, helping every student have an equitable chance. Um, you know, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about uh, how I'm going to keep our students and our staff and faculty safe in the fall um, when we come back to the new normal and we're back, you know, hopefully 
um, in in uh, in class again on campus. So that's a lot. You know, I, I think I have a lot on my mind, but most of it evolves around we we have such a passion. All of us who work in community colleges, you know, it's our purpose to transform lives. That's what we're all about. And so when you have a disruption like we've had to deal with, a global pandemic, life-threatening issues like we've had to deal with, it becomes, I think, um, very uh, disheartening sometimes because you see that this has caused people that were on such a good pathway forward to get pushed back. And so my heart aches for how we get them back on track and how we keep them from losing too much momentum and and veering off course too far and not ever completing. If they can stay with us, if we can keep them, then I know that we can help them transform their lives, get a better paying job, get out of poverty. And that's the thing for me, Nation. You know, we're on a mission to eradicate poverty in our area. And uh, so that keeps me up at night because that's a big mission. Well, we most of us are all too familiar with the 3 a.m. wake up these days during the pandemic, it feels like. I sent out a tweet last week asking if anyone was sleeping through the night anymore and overwhelmingly heard that they were uh, that they were not. So, um, well, looking ahead, so, you know, organizations and, and, and leaders always go through periods of transition. So whether it's two years or 20 years or 40 years from now, when you have left Forsyth Tech, you know, what would you like to look back and say, here is what success looks like. Here's what, here are some of the hallmarks of my tenure at the institution. That's a great question. Um, so, you know, I think that what I hope, I've, so I, my mother taught me that um, your legacy should be left in the lives of the people that you have touched along your journey in life. And um, what I'm hoping that I can look back on and see is how during my time as the president here, our Forsyth Tech team focused on every student feeling like this was to meet our, to, to you know, weave in our tagline, uh, their place of promise, right? Our tagline is Forsyth Tech is a place of promise. So when I retire, it's not gonna be for me about how many buildings we built, but rather about how many lives we touched. I think if we need buildings, we'll certainly go build them. But what I'm looking for is, can I show, can we see um, evidence of more students who are from lower income, first generation backgrounds here at Forsyth Tech and not only having access to this uh, opportunity for high quality education, but can we show that our numbers have gone drastically up on how many actually complete their degrees with us and then how many of them are working in jobs that are providing them with, um, with livable wages and sustainable career pathways for their families. So if I can look back and see that Forsyth Tech has just expanded on that work of life transformation, for me, that will be a success. And I think we're already seeing it. You know, we see that our completion rate is up. Um, this was pre-COVID, right? So we don't know what that's gonna do, but. But I think that we see that um, we don't have as many gaps. You know, that's the other thing. I want to be able to look at those metrics and see that everybody had an equitable opportunity to succeed and no certain group succeeded at any lesser uh, speed than the other. In other words, no matter who you are, you came to Forsyth Tech, 
you complete it and now you've got, you know, that opportunity you didn't have before. Um, so that's, all, you know, that's for me, that's what it's about is making sure that more people are getting here and more people are succeeding once they are here. And then that they're becoming great partners in this transformation work in our communities as well. Well, when you do wake up, if you're anything like me, you may turn to a book. So we're going to have a few fun questions uh, now, okay. I think are fun. <laughs> um, what are some of the books that are on your nightstand right now? Oh, wow. Let's see. Um, most recently, I have been reading White Fragility um, by D'Angelo. I think it's Robin D'Angelo. That's a really good book. Um, uh, there's a book that I can't remember the author, but I'm I, it, so I, you know, here's my thing. I'll read two or three books at one time. So I'll have two or three on my nightstand. And depending on what mood I'm in when I wake up, that's what I turn to. The other one that's on my right nightstand right now, I can't remember the author, but it's moving from equity talk to equity walk. Um, so, and then there's this really cute little um, book on my nightstand that I cannot remember the title of, but it's something, it's my granddaughter's favorite book. And it's something about the monster that ate my homework or something like that. That's also on my nightstand if I'm just in a you know, silly mood when I wake up at 2 a.m. What are some of your other uh, hobbies other than working all the time, I'm sure? <laughs> hobbies other than working. Wow. So I started knitting when I became president because a friend of mine in the Aspen Fellowship told me that that was a way to clear your mind. And I have trouble with that. Um, I like to multitask and my mind runs too, too much, too fast. So I took up knitting and my granddaughter was being born. I knitted a beautiful Afghan. Now I'm working on smaller projects with knitting. I love to read even when I'm not reading, you know, I like, I like to read fiction. I love um, thrillers and mysteries and John Grisham novels and James Patterson and lots of Ken Follett, things like that. Um, and then I love music. I like to play the piano when I can, and I love to just listen to different kinds of music. Do you have a favorite pandemic comfort food or takeout meal that got you through? <laughs> oh my gosh. I had to go on a major diet last fall because I had too many favorite pandemic comfort foods for the first half of the pandemic. Um, so my favorite, I was interviewed by the students last year and they asked me what my favorite food was. And I'll tell you, this is my favorite food altogether and my favorite comfort food. And that's popcorn. I'm a popcorn fanatic. I love those stores that have all the wonderful flavors of popcorn and I love popcorn and cheese. That's my favorite comfort food. Well, I think we can all agree that movie popcorn in particular would be nice <laughs> this time when we can do that again safely. Yeah, absolutely. Just final question. Is there anything you'd like for people across the state to know about Forsyth Tech or Winston-Salem that we haven't gotten to today? Sure. Um, so, well, Winston-Salem, let me say, I grew up in Caswell County, not too far from here. And I came to Winston-Salem as a kid to the tobacco market because we were tobacco farmers. And what I remember about Winston-Salem from that time period, when I was a kid, this was the big city because I lived in you know, the middle of nowhere uh, in Milton, North Carolina, a very small town. So we were coming to the big city when we came to Winston-Salem. And I think Winston-Salem is a big city. We have about, you know, 286,000 people in the city, um, but it's got a small town heart. And I said that from the first uh, week I was here, and I still say it two years in today, it's a great place where people really care about each other. And I just love that. 
I think Forsyth Tech has that same thing. You know, we genuinely care about each other and about our students. Um, we very much want to work together to help all of us have a better place to live and a better future for, for ourselves. So, and then the other thing I'd say about Forsyth Tech is, you know, we're, we're really um, learning how to um, imagine without boundaries in a way that I think is going to uh, be an exciting few years to come. The next, you know, the next five years, I think are gonna be really exciting at Forsyth Tech because we are challenging the status quo. You know, we're not willing to accept that the way we've always done something is the way it always has to be done. Um, we, in fact, are saying, if we've always done it that way, maybe it's time to consider why and how we should be doing it versus how we always have been. So um, I think, you know, you're going to see some really exciting new things happening at Forsyth Tech because we're challenging the status quo and doing whatever it takes to focus on how we help more students uh, utilize the power of education to transform their lives and transform their futures. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know that people will gain a lot from this conversation. We hope to have you back here before long and we will keep going. Okay, thank you so much, Nation. I appreciate your time. Great questions. As always, thank you for listening to the Wake 58 podcast. For more community college content, our latest stories, research from across the state, or information that you can use in your daily life, check us out at ednc.org. If you have ideas for topics, people we ought to interview, or stories that we ought to tell, feel free to tweet us at awake58nc. That's awake58nc on Twitter. Thank you so much for being part of our Awake 58 community. And thank you, as always, for taking time out of your day to listen to the stories from across the community college spectrum and across the state.